Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I had to check. It was like the morning or afternoon there, but it's definitely still the morning for a little while yet. Um, as Vet said, my name's Chris. I serve our kids and young people here, and uh, I know you've already heard it before, but you're super, super welcome to be with us um, at the 11th service here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. Um, it's the 5th of December. We are officially 20 days away from Christmas. I'm sure uh, you've begun your Christmas shopping, or maybe you're panicking because you haven't. I'm sure your Christmas tree's up. We've got our trees up. And uh, mince pies getting that. I'm sure you've also got your favorite Christmas album on. Um, it's just what you do whenever it comes on the road to Christmas. Hands up if you're listening to Justin Bieber's Christmas album. No, me, me either. Uh, didn't even know he had one. And, uh, but yes, we are continuing our, our series in Advent on Arrival. And uh, we're going to pick up from where Stu uh, left off last week. We're going to be in Isaiah 9. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to jump straight in. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Um, it will also appear behind me on the screen. Um, I'm going to leave out verse 1 because there's lots of big words that I'm not going to attempt to say. So we're going to jump in straight away at verse 2. Uh, it says Isaiah 9, verses 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every, gar- every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his greatness and government, of his greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. These next few moments that we have together, uh, we want to be looking at the topic of peace what Jesus, um, how Jesus is peace and how he moves towards and that. Before we do, I'm going to pray and we're going to jump straight in. So Jesus, thank you that you're with us. Thank you for Advent and how it interrupts us and uh, breaks up our calendar, that as we reflect on you arriving and moving towards us, go, we're grateful that you are peace and the peace is available to us. As you open your scriptures, God, I pray you'd move, you'd speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd minister to us in this time, in your name. Amen. Amen. On the 27th of August this year, I was in a, a coffee shop uh, on my honeymoon with my wife. I just got married a week before, and uh, so it was all loved up and doing what you do on honeymoon, brunch and all that sort of stuff. And uh, we were sat down, we had a, a fantastic coffee that was a little overpriced, but fantastic coffee nonetheless, and we're sitting down at brunch, and my phone happened to ding, and I, look, I glanced at it and looked away, and uh, I looked at at Jennifer, my wife, and uh, I looked at her in the eyes and said, Jennifer, this is one of the best days of my life. And uh, she began to get a little bit teary and began, chin began to quiver. And, and then I started to get a little bit teary. I was like, oh, this is a 
tricky day. And, um, and I started to choke up a little bit. So I grabbed her hands and looked her in the eyes and said, Cristiano Ronaldo was just re-signed from Manchester United. <laughs> and uh, it, it's safe to say she did not share the same excitement that I had in that moment. And she was very quick to also let me know that we had just got married a week before. And so to clarify, that was the best and is and will forever be the best day of my life. Um, Ronaldo's signing is just up, up there, pretty close, but up there. And, uh, and so I, I couldn't believe it. I was filled with joy. All Jennifer heard about that day was Ronaldo, CR7, the king is back to Old Trafford. And I think if I uh, said Ronaldo one more time, there was, a, there was a good chance that I was going to maybe get a punch in the face, but that, we evaded that so far. And, uh, but I began to get really excited. I was like, this, this is our year. Like for eight and a half long years, we haven't had much success. Won a few trophies, but nothing super notable. And uh, I was like, the best player on the planet, and we're in church, so you know it's truth, has re-signed for Manchester United. And I was like, this is it. So I did what any normal person would do in that moment. I quickly pulled out my phone, went straight to Skyscanner, booked a ticket to Manchester, called my friend who's season ticket holder, and I was going to Old Trafford. I was going to see Ronaldo in person. Got tickets for a Champions League game. I was really, really excited. I've never been to Old Trafford before. This was the time. And I was like, this is the time to go. The stars have aligned, and I'm going to get to go. And so I went... I rolled up around Manchester, I was, I was like a kid on Christmas, super excited, got into Old Trafford and everyone's doing the chants, you know, and of course I wasn't doing the chants because they're, they're bad chants, you probably couldn't chant them in church. So I, I was like a passenger in that moment and uh, the game kicked off and I was like, this is it. And uh, 15 minutes in, we conceded a goal, 1-0 down, playing Atalanta, it's a, it's a game that we should win. And uh, not long after that, we're 2-0 down, I'm, I'm kind of thinking this is this is not how it's supposed to go. Like, this is my first trip to Old Trafford. Like, Ronaldo should know. Like, this is not how this goes. Long story short, of course, of course, we win the game 3-2. I'm not going to reference any games that come after that moment because it's not applicable to my analogy and therefore not important. Um, but we managed to win the game and I remember walking out of it. I was like, this is a, such a, a weird experience. Like, I had this moment where I was like, this is crazy at the end, we're all going mad. But also, I was like, there's some, some problems here. And the phrase papering over the cracks was used quite a bit. Even with Ronaldo's arrival, things were not okay. Following Manchester United, and if you have been for the last little while, it'll be prayer ministry for you later, um, is pretty similar um, to what we've journeyed in the last 18 plus months. Things have not quite gone according to plan. No matter what we have tried it's never really quite felt like we've got back to the good old days before COVID-19. As we exit 2021 soon, it's only fair that we reflect on what we've walked through, what we've survived and endured. This very time last year, we were probably thinking to ourselves about the effect of COVID, how it's affected every family, every government, every social system, industry, and much more. And a year later, with vaccines, and protocols through hopes and disappointments, its reach is still unmeasured. In 2021, we literally lived in wake of COVID-19. George Everly, who teaches disaster, mental health and resilience at John Hopkins University said this, there's no doubt that the coronavirus pandemic will be the most psychologically toxic disaster in anyone's lifetime. It's encouraging. 
The very fabric of our society has changed in the last 18 months. To describe it as disruptive only really quite scratches the surface. In my lifetime, you've probably heard it before, that COVID-19 is the nearest thing that I will probably experience to war. And so this time last year, if COVID-19 was described as war, as we entered 2021, what we longed for was the opposite. It was for peace. That's what we wanted. Like following Manchester United, we've had highs and lows in the last year. Moments of deep disappointment and no doubt hurt and pain. Also moments of high hopes and moments when it felt like the past was behind us. And also moments when it felt like the past was just repeating itself over and over again. Throughout it all, it feels like our longing for peace is only got greater. And the ache that we have for it has only got deeper. Stu kicked us off last week. We read about the current situation of Israel living in darkness. They were living under unrest and suffering under a king. They were trying to live life on their own accord. They thought they somehow knew better. They would consult the counsel of other mystics and they would forget about the counsel that God had given them. The Israelites over the years, just like us, just like Manchester United, had highs and lows, they had ups and downs. And in this context is where we hear a prophetic declaration of a new king. As we read that, it would, that he would break through the darkness, through their current circumstances, a king not to kill, swinging a sword, but a king that would bring peace, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of his greatness and government and peace would be no end. Just like for the Israelites, for us, if we're honest, peace has been hard to come by. We've had a fight for it. We've had a search hard to find it. And when we've somehow got a grasp on it, it felt like it's been difficult to sustain. To put it simple, stress and tensions and the unknown of the last year have left us with a lack of peace. So what is peace when we talk about it? Peace is not an unfamiliar word or concept in the Bible. God's story literally opens with peace and it ends with perfect peace. In the Old Testament, it is the longing of the people of God. They long for peace. The Bible itself has over 400 references of peace. Peace is a familiar concept. We sing about it in our songs. We include it in our prayers. It's in the books that we read. It's in our vernacular, but rarely is it a lived experience that we have on a Monday, Tuesday, and a Wednesday as we live life. Worldly peace that we see played out around us, whether it's portrayed in social media or whatever it is, is measured by circumstances. It is to neutralize the state of being. It's the absence or removal of something. It focuses on the problem or the power structure. This kind of peace is also known as negative peace. It knows what it's against. It knows what it wants to get rid of, but it's not quite sure what it wants to replace or what it is for. Here's some facts around peace that I think are pretty wild. Since 36 BC, there's been nearly 15,000 wars. Before World War II, the world had an average of 2.61 new wars every year. But since World War II, with all of mankind's enlightenment, organized efforts, advancements for world peace, 
there's been a new increased average of three new wars every year. The New York Times once observed that peace is a fable. The only peace this world can know is shallow and unfulfilling. Most people's pursuit of peace is only an attempt to get away from problems. History tells the tale. This kind of peace, this kind of counsel, what Stu talked about last week where the Israelites went for a different kind of counsel, it's the same thing that happens today. This kind of peace does not hold up. But this is not the kind of peace the Bible talks about. Peace played out for us in the scriptures is much different. In the Greek, of, Greek and Hebrew, yes, they both talk about it being the absence of war. But in the Hebrew, the word shalom talks more about wholeness well-orderedness. It speaks to the entire state of our soul, and it has the power to reorder and to reshape our very lives. But most importantly, it stands up against whatever is happening around us. Peace that is quite literally unwavered by circumstance. So the question is how? We've read of the prophetic promise in Isaiah. In Luke 2, verse 8, if you have your Bibles and want to flick there, we're going to be jumping around a wee bit we see the fulfillment of this. I'm going to jump straight to, to verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, on earth, peace to those who his favor rests. The Messiah, the promised one has come. The fulfillment of Isaiah 9, he is literally the light in the darkness. Peace on earth, more than a lyric that we sing in songs this time of year. Peace with God, reconciliation, peace with each other. But most importantly, peace that is within, that is resilient. It is a promise that all the unwhole broken parts will be restored. He provide more than just a presence to make us feel good in a moment, make us feel good on a Sunday or in worship. But it would be, he would actually reconnect us to the source of peace that never runs that dry, that sustains us through the week. But most notably, it wasn't just the absence of things or external forces, but this was the presence of someone, peace himself. Peace himself came into the middle of our mess and our chaos. They expected a warrior to come waving a sword to kill. But just like his peace isn't like the peace that we know in the world, this king was like a king like no other. And the kingdom he came to establish on earth was a kingdom like none other. Born of a virgin, in the most humble of situations, one of us, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, God quite literally with lips, hips, and fingertips, walking among us like one of us and moving towards us. Arrival is the language that we use. It's what we've attached to this Advent series. Wonder what happens to you in your home when you think about someone arriving there, when you're hosting someone. 
I'm not sure if this is for everyone. I'm only married three months. I'm told it's not always like this. But I'm sorry, Jennifer, I'm going to spill our dirty laundry here. But our third bedroom is like Narnia. You, you walk into it, it just feels like it keeps going. All the stuff's in there. Downstairs, neat and tidy. The kitchen's neat and tidy. We have people coming over. The house looks neat and tidy. But if they could only see our third bedroom, sweet mercy, would they come in our house? It is crazy. And that's what happens, right? When people are coming over to our homes, we want to rush to make sure everything's neat and tidy. We're hosting someone. We want to make sure it's all crisscross and in a row. We think whenever we come to moments like this, to Advent, that we talk about what's arriving to us, what is made available to us. We think that maybe our lives and our hearts and our souls are a little bit too messy for God to arrive into that. One of the most beautiful things about the God story, about Jesus moving towards us, is that we find out that Jesus actually doesn't mind mess. In fact, it is the very context that he chooses, chooses to be born into. He finds himself quite literally at home in a manger, surrounded by animals and dear knows what that's going on. He doesn't mind mess. In fact, he moves towards it. But it gets better. We've started with the prophetic. We've jumped into the birth. Now we're going to jump again towards the death of Jesus. John 14, verse 27, one verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace. This is Jesus saying, my peace I give you. I do not give you, I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is Jesus comforting his disciples as he's getting ready to go to the cross. He expands on the prophetic promise, not just to introduce peace in a moment, to make us feel good, but no longer a temporal idea, but literally a catalyst for life in the kingdom. It is the gravity that is introduced to us that allows us to stay grounded when everything else rages around us. It is the firm footing for when the world is falling apart and it is the remedy for our broken souls. Do not be afraid is the only command in the narrative of Jesus being born to earth. It is not get tidy. It is not clean up your mess. It is do not be afraid. And it is the closing command that he gives his disciples. Do not be afraid. Again, we see that God is on the move and the trajectory is towards us, towards humanity moving towards the conflicted and the reckless. He's not coming to just clean up the neighborhood in a few years of ministry, but he's coming to take up residence, to move in his peace. Jesus says, my peace, not like the world offers, peace that he embodied through his time on earth, through every trial and tribulation, mocked and scorned, yet he had peace. He modeled to us a new way to walk through hardship, a new way to walk through hard circumstances. When he was on the boat and the storm raged, he was asleep. That kind of peace that is available to us in this very moment, this Christmas. It all sounds great. But for some of us in this room, we've lost friends, we've lost people, we've lost jobs, We've lost connection, whether that be to church or community. Some of you may even feel like you've lost yourself. And this is good news that's spoke about from the front of church. But maybe hearing it, it sounds far off. Maybe if you're more candid, it sounds unrealistic. We can ache and long for peace this Christmas, peace that's different. But right now, some of us in this space are already anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow, never mind 
on the 25th of December. Sounds great, but for a lot of us, it's not how we feel. I want to leave us with two things as we close. First thing is a practice. The second thing is something that we are to embrace. The saying is true. In making peace, we find more of it. It's a formula that is proven and it's a formula that is tested. To be peacemakers, ushering in the God reality of the kingdom. To be like him in our weakness and our weariness. Holding on to the promise that we do not have to be afraid. Not being peacekeepers. Peacekeepers are just focusing on what's absent. Trying to maintain what's happening around us. But instead being proactive peacemakers. Moving towards the mess. And it's hard when you're tired. For some of us, that will just start in our prayers. We'll begin to pray for the pockets of conflict and hardship that are around us. And we'll just simply pray his peace into us. This can be the place that we start this morning. But it's also the place where freedom begins. Where we begin to be set free. We get to do the work that sets us free. To be like Jesus and move towards the places of brokenness and disorder. Peace comes to those who share it. By making peace, we proclaim a better way. We're preparing and pointing to the second advent, the second coming, when he will make all things right. Life without death, divorce, miscommunication, without orphans or widows, and quite literally without COVID-19. Can I get an amen? His shalom that will come in the second advent is also available to us right now. We can experience it and know it ourselves. Secondly, and if the band want to come up, peace is something that arrives to us. Peace is something that we can embrace. Peace is something that is a gift. And I, I was thinking about how to close this as we come into land. And there's a story that I read when I was 19 years of age that um, genuinely changed my life. I know that's a phrase we use a lot in church. I know it's a phrase that we use a lot in conversations. Like we eat a steak sandwich, we're like, it changed my life. Like, this is not that kind of changed my life. Like, I read this story, and I was on a plane going to holidays with my family, and was like uncontrollably climbing beside this guy who was like, you need to get it together, man. And uh, I genuinely had an encounter that, that forever changed me. And, and I want to share this story as I, I feel like it encapsulates how we are to embrace peace. It's the story of Horatio Spafford. Some of you have heard this before. If you've heard it before from me, uh, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but if you haven't, um, you're in for a treat. But who is Horatio Spafford? Horatio Spafford was born in New York the 20th of October, 1828. He would then grow up in Chicago. He became a, a well-known individual. Um, number one for being very successful. He's a very successful businessman. He had lots of ventures and he was very wealthy. But secondly, he was also an incredible Jesus follower, known for his generosity and integrity. He was an, an incredible guy. He's well-known in, in the community. And uh, he went on to have, get married and have five kids. He had four daughters and uh, a son who was the youngest. And uh, out of nowhere, um, his youngest son took ill um, with scarlet fever, a preventable disease, and out of nowhere passed away, which was incredibly difficult and heartbreaking and uh, difficult for the family to walk through. Uh, literally, not even two years later, in October 1871, a massive fire swept through downtown Chicago, devastating the city. 
including many properties and businesses owned by Horatio, around 80% of his business. That day was destroyed, along with 300 people who lost their lives and 100,000 that were made homeless. Despite his own financial loss, the Spaffords sought to demonstrate the love of Jesus by assisting those who were grief-stricken in all their need. We just talked about how we find peace when we make it. This is not the point, but we see it modeled right here and amongst the difficulty and circumstance that has went his way, he leans in towards demonstrating peace. Two years later, Horatio finds himself still recovering from losing his son and large majorities of his business and his family are going through real hardships and he was friends with theologians across the water, really well-known theologians across the water who reached out to say, come, come spend some time with us. Come over here, do some ministry, do some speaking. Most importantly, get around some people that love you and take a rest. And so he decided it was a good idea. He booked a boat put, um, for his, him and his family to go over to England. In the morning when he was heading towards that boat, he got news that another one of his businesses had literally imploded overnight, like it just went under overnight. Recognizing the need that he had for rest, recognizing the need that he had for peace, he decided to say to his, his wife and his four daughters, go, go ahead without me, I'll catch up on the next boat. And it wasn't like the stand line, it wasn't like the next hour or two hours later, it was gonna be a matter of days. And so he attended the, the business and his, his wife and kids went on ahead. Around two days later, Horatio received a telegram from his wife. The telegram read this, lone survivor. The boat that he had put his wife and kids on had collided with another boat en route. Many lost their lives, including all four of his daughters as young as two. And so Horatio did what anyone would do. He booked the next, flight to, or next boat to go over and comfort his, his wife, who was obviously morning and it went through incredible heartache and so he jumps on the boat and he's traveling across the water I can't begin to imagine what he's thinking about in that moment as the last five years of his life felt like he's lost quite literally everything his business his family and he's on the way over and as he's passing the water the um person who's sailing the boat makes him aware that the water that they're passing over is where the boats collided. It's where, um, quite literally, where his daughters were, were laying to rest. Horatio took a moment, took it in, and then went below the decks. And he wrote these words immediately. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, and sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, and has taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul when peace when peace like a river attends arrives meets you right there in the moment of whatever is going on the circumstance that seems like it's too much to handle or to walk through it is the peace of God that arrives and attains and crashes into that his peace not peace like the world has to offer Jesus said my peace peace unlike any other peace that writes in the midst of the heartache that it is well with my soul peace that stands up 
no matter the circumstance. Peace that in this very moment is made available to us that we can embrace if we only let it. That's what I want us to do is we're going to stand and we're going to sing this. The band are going to lead us in this. And I pray as you worship to embrace the peace that moves towards you this morning, that wades through the mess, just like in the God story of God himself coming to humanity. He makes himself at home in the mess. Let peace wade through it all. Embrace it and let it attend to you as we worship. In Jesus' name, let's worship.